It's the first Monday of the month, and we are tackling your questions here on Coaching for Leaders. This is episode number 309. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. Welcome back if you've been listening for a while. If this is the first time you're picking up the show, welcome. The first Monday of every month, we open up the show to you, our listeners, and respond to questions that have come in from the entire community since then. And you can submit your question for consideration for a future Q&A show on the first Monday of every month just by going over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. You can submit your question right there. And as always, uh, my wife, Bonnie Stahoviak, joins me for responding to questions from our community. Welcome, Bonnie. Thanks, Dave. We are freshly back from a trip to Colorado as a family, and we had a wonderful meetup of Coaching for Leaders listeners in Denver just a couple of weeks ago. Thank you to everyone who took the time to come out. We had almost two dozen listeners, Bonnie, who showed up uh, in Denver uh, the evening of July 24th. It was a fabulous event. So thank you so much for uh, coming out. And uh, we had lots of great conversation about the Q&A episodes, by the way. And a couple of folks were disappointed you weren't there and were looking forward to meeting you in person. So, But they get access to your wisdom uh, throughout the rest of this episode. So. The alternative would have been leaving our three-year-old and five-year-old by themselves in the hotel. So it was probably a good plan that I stayed back. <laughs> as, as responsible they are as children, uh, they're probably not quite ready to be left for multiple hours of time by yes. themselves. Yeah, indeed. All right. So let's jump into our first question here from Michael. What do you do when you have a follower who has leadership potential but is reluctant to step into leadership shoes? Thank you for the question, Michael. This is a question that is a challenging one to answer to without knowing more about the context, but I, I'll, I'll take it a couple of different ways, Michael. So one way to think about this is, does someone want to move forward in becoming more what's the word I'm looking for, uh, becoming more engaged as a leader in the organization. And I say that because I'm thinking about the conversation I had back with Kim Scott a couple of months ago on the show and her book that's out, which is a fabulous book called Radical Candor. One of the points that she makes in that book, which I think is really helpful for a lot of us as leaders, is that there's different kinds of people in the workforce and there's even different kinds of people at different points in their careers. And I was under the assumption when I started my career, that everyone wants to move up, that everyone wants to move to the next position, that everyone wants, everyone wants to get into leadership and management, or at least that most people did. And one of the surprises I had early in my career was that some people don't. In fact, there's a lot of people who don't have an interest in moving forward or moving up into leadership roles or having additional responsibilities within the organization and are perfectly happy doing the things that they're already doing. And in fact, probably are more valuable to the organization in continuing to be stable forces in the things that they're doing effectively already. And um, I, I like the framework that Kim Scott has in Radical Candor of she talks about the distinction between having a superstar in your organization and having a rock star in your organization. And sh she describes a superstar as someone who's on a very steep growth trajectory, who's a change agent, who's ambitious, who wants new opportunities. And then she contrasts that with a rock star who is someone who tends to have more of a, a, a want and a desire for stability. Maybe they're ambitious outside of work um, or they're just 
simply content in their life and in their career with how things are going, but they don't necessarily have a lot of ambition to do new things in the workplace, and they're really happy in their current role. And so I think one of the things that you'll want to determine, Michael, is the person that you're thinking about is where are they on that framework? Now, um, the other point that I like that Kim makes in the book is that we are, some of us change that perspective as we go forward in our career. So someone who may have been a superstar five years ago, who now has small children at home, for example, may be more of a rock star who doesn't want a lot of change, who doesn't is not looking for new opportunities because they're not at a life stage right now where that's going to fit well with their family and all the other commitments that they have in their lives. Um, so I think part of the thing I'd, I'd, I'd be thinking of is, where does the person you're thinking about fall under that perspective? And if you don't know, to maybe ask, um, to spend some time having some dialogue with them about where they are, what they want for the future. So that said, um, I do also think that there's a place for us as leaders to illuminate opportunities for people who are ready for them and who, and even if they're not totally ready, would develop into those because succession planning is one of the core competencies of every leader. Um, in fact, we've had guests on the show previously have said that's the most important competency of leadership, and I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that by any means. So we we need to be continually thinking about how we're going to develop people in the organization. And so I, I think another piece of it for people who are superstars or maybe people who are rock stars and they're they're not they haven't quite figured out what's next for them and they haven't quite figured out what the next path is, I think there's a responsibility for each of us to think about what is important to that person for the future. Uh, Where do they want to go in their careers, in their personal lives? And then how does their professional development that is happening in their current role match that to the best of the ability that we can? We're never going to match it perfectly. But for example, if I know that someone wants to say, start their own business in four or five years, that's a really helpful thing for me to know as a leader, because rather than being fearful about that and thinking to myself, this person's going to leave at some point, I'd want to embrace that as an opportunity and start dialoguing with that person about what are the skills you think you're going to need in order to start your business in four to five years. And as a leader, then be looking at our organization and the development opportunities and how can I help to align with you to provide you with the experience, the coaching, and the development now in the areas we need assistance in our organization that's going to develop you into that skill set where you ultimately can go and do that. So uh, so I think having dialogue's key, knowing where people are, and, and, and taking some lead from them is really important in this situation, Michael. And I'm sure Bonnie has some thoughts as well. Between Dave and I, we have four leadership degrees. And so I think we're pretty confident in one thing about leadership, and that is that everyone has a different view of what leadership is and the lots and lots of varied definitions. And sometimes our definitions of what it means to be a leader can come with them with a little bit of baggage, the sense of maybe we're not up to whatever it is in our own minds it means to be a leader. And one of the leadership models that I find to be particularly helpful in this vein is called servant leadership. We've talked about it a number of times before on the show. And servant leadership is this whole idea that it's actually the act of serving others that makes us leaders. And there's a really close connection between leadership and what is known as followership. And servant leadership was a phrase first coined by Robert Greenleaf. And I'm going to read a little bit from their website that talks about servant leadership. Quote, the servant leader is servant first. It begins with the natural feeling that one wants to serve, to serve first. Then conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. 
That person is sharply different from one who is leader first, perhaps because of the need to assuage an unusual power drive or to acquire material possessions. The leader first and the servant first are two extreme types between them. There are shadings and blends that are part of the infinite variety of human nature. A servant leader focuses primarily on the growth and well-being of people and the communities to which they belong, while traditional leadership generally involves the accumulation and exercise of power by one at the top of the pyramid, servant leadership is different. The servant leader shares power, puts the needs of others first, and helps people develop and perform as highly as possible. My recommendation to you would be to perhaps introduce other leadership models, such as servant leadership, that aren't as reliant on power in order to get things done and see if this individual perhaps embraces more of that methodology. And the servant leadership book is really short and a great read and might be something you could discuss together. I wish you the best on trying to tap into the potential that this individual has. Our next question comes from Steve. For about a year, I'm a district manager for pharmacy brand. The pharmacy has three levels of employees the pharmacy managers, pharmacists, and technicians. The pharmacy managers and pharmacists have email addresses, but the technicians don't. I find, it a, I find it very tough to get the communication to the technicians. We work in a high-paced environment, filling about 30 prescriptions per hour. Any suggestions on how to get communication out to them? Steve, thanks so much for the question. Uh, I've never worked in a pharmacy, but I have worked in a um, an education center where I had to manage um, or got to manage a part time staff, and we had the same issue. We didn't have any sort of this was before we had a lot more of the internet tools that we do these days. Um, but some of us had email addresses, but most of the staff did not. And we're trying to think of what is the best way we can get communication out to people. And what we ultimately determined and figured out uh, through the model of the business is uh, we had a staff communication binder. So nothing fancy. And what we would do is every day at the beginning of everyone's shift, they were required to read through the binder. And what it was, it was just essentially a binder full of you know three or four boxes per page. And anytime anything significant happened within the organization, or there was a significant change in policy or customer interaction or whatever. Um, and sometimes it would even be printing out emails as, as much as <laughs> environmentally, we all try not to do that. Um, sometimes it would be printing out an announcement. And then we would just put it in the binder. <clears throat> and what people would do is they'd initial the communication each time they read it. And uh, they had to go through and initial that at the beginning of their shift. It was the first five minutes and go through and read everything. And they'd read as far as back as to the last time they were there. That worked pretty well. So what you would need to do, of course, is set up an expectation and a framework of people doing that at the beginning and the end of shift, and also people to adding in things that were of significance that happened during that day. So for example, if there was a significant decision that was made one day that other people weren't there for, of adding that, in, someone adding that in, either you or someone else, who uh, then everyone gets access to that information. Uh, the other thing that you potentially could do, and this is um, out of the book Scaling Up, is the uh, the process, or maybe it's not even Scaling Up. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thinking it could even be uh, the four disciplines of execution. I actually think both books uh, advocate for this, of having just a very brief stand-up session for you know five or 10 minutes at the beginning of the shift uh, or at the beginning of the day. Now, depending on how your workforce is structured, if people are coming in and out throughout the day, that may not be possible to do. But you can do a lot in five minutes if you have a very, very clear or your pharmacist, general manager, whoever the point person is, has a very clear agenda for what they're going to do or what they need to communicate 
communicate during that time, you can get that information out in two or three minutes. So if you get everyone together for just five minutes, that might be another way around that too. So hopefully uh, one of those is helpful to you, Steve. I found both of those to be helpful in different situations, and it's a way to work around the uh, the the not having email. And in fact, there's a bunch of organizations, especially to do the stand-up, even if everyone has an email address, there's something to be said about doing it in person. You get a lot more engagement. You get a lot of you get people's attention that you may not get on an email anyway. So it's not a bad practice for all of us to think about doing, even if we've all got access to email. So let us know what you decide to do on that, Steve. And uh, by the way, one of the things that I'm thinking about with Steve's question is just the value in thinking about something from a different perspective. You know, we all get used to thinking about things the way that we think about them. We all get um, caught up in our ways of handling problems because we've seen it one way. And one of the things that um, many of us would benefit from is getting perspective from others. And if you're a manager or supervisor or executive, uh, or maybe you're even an independent consultant or coach, I would certainly encourage you to think about the Coaching for Leaders Academy. We are going to be opening up opportunities in the Academy uh, in about the next 30 days here, starting in early September 2017. Uh, If you find yourself seeking the objective perspective you don't find as much internally and you want to... want to have a team of trusted advisors uh, who provide regular coaching on some of the toughest situations and decisions, the Coaching for Leaders Academy may be a good opportunity for you. It's an exclusive year-long leadership development cohort. It's all about access to great relationships. It's an intimate group of participant leaders who work personally with me to develop leadership excellence and empower each other and stay accountable to each other. So if that is of interest to you, go to coachingforleaders.com slash academy. You can register there to get on the early alert list. We are going to have some early alert opportunities coming up either later this month or early in September. And then we'll open up applications more broadly to the entire Coaching for Leaders community here. But again, if you want to find out about that, we have a number of people who are already on our waiting list, uh, several hundred actually, uh, who are looking for opportunities for the next uh, available openings. Uh, please join in with and you'll get early access to that as well. Again, go to coachingforleaders.com slash academy for that. And our next question is also from Michael, but a different Michael than the first question. I'm a senior officer in the U.S. military and have a question regarding the transition from military to civilian leadership. It may seem simplistic or rudimentary, but how much of my military leadership style crosses into the private sector? For instance, within the military, we typically conduct routine commander calls where we address the entire organization, or we coin superior performers, what is a corollary in the civilian sector to these hallmarks of a military organization. I have what I consider to be a very engaging leadership style. I get into my organization at least once per week to visit with our enlisted troops. I have routine lunches with people of various ranks to hear their issues. I have routine feedback with my direct report commanders. I host professional development sessions to enhance critical thinking and learning. Is this analogous to what is considered an engaged leader in the private sector? How would my leadership style be viewed in a typical corporate setting? In a previous podcast, you had mentioned how you were developing a podcast specifically to address military members transitioning to civilian leadership, and I wanted to express my support for the discussion of this topic. I'd be thrilled to understand how relevant I am in the private sector, and are my skills really sought as much as the military touts they are? Well, Michael, thank you so much for the question, and having not served or worked in the military, um, there's a certain part of this, of course, I can't answer. So I'm curious what others in our community will say as well. But yeah, I think a lot of the things that you have mentioned are the kinds of things we certainly think about that engaged leaders would do 
in any organization, both in the civilian world and a nonprofit and the military. Uh, some of the terminology is a little bit different, but I think the kinds of things you're doing are very similar. So for example, uh, what you may call a commander call, maybe called an all hands meeting in a business organization. Uh, what you're calling uh, superior performers might be called high potentials in uh, a business organization. I don't love the term high potentials because it implies that other people are low potential, but <laughs> that's the term that is standard in the industry of the people who are the organizations identified as the future leaders in the organization and are getting, in some cases, more attention or more resources in their development. So I think a lot of the things you're doing are the kinds of things that leaders would be doing to engage people across all organizations. The question that comes in my mind is probably less for you just by the nature of the fact that you wrote in and asked this this thoughtful question and more for the rest of us is uh, the actions are one thing the results are a different thing so um the putting in the action you know there's and I, and I say this michael because there's a lot of times i've run into situations in organizations where there is a regular lunchtime chat that happens with senior leadership and there is the all hands meetings that happen regularly. And there's a lot of things visibly that um, look like engagement kind of activities. But when you dive in and talk to employees and talk about the culture in the organization, there still in some cases is a disconnect between what is intended by a lot of activities and a lot of movement around things that look like engagement and actually engaging people. And so that would be the question I'd have for you and anyone else who's thinking about this is, are the actions you're taking resulting in what you want as far as an engaged workforce and however your organization is measuring that? And if you are getting those results, and that's great, those, tr those skills will transition to the private sector very smoothly. And I think the challenge for all of us is to be thinking about is, is are the things we're doing getting the results we want? Are we getting... Uh, you know, so you you mentioned, for example, that you're soliciting feedback regularly. So my question would be then is, are you getting valuable feedback? Are you getting people that are pushing back on you and telling you things that are tough things to hear? And if you are, great, keep doing it. If you're not, uh, what I would suggest doing is going back and looking at some of our, uh, and I'll put a few of them here in the show notes of some of the feedback frameworks and the episodes we've put in here in the past of how to ask for feedback consistently so that you get the tough feedback that you need to hear in order to be a more effective leader. So those are the kinds of things that I'd be asking myself if I was in your shoes of, um, did the actions match the results that I'm looking for? And then uh, finally, you you mentioned, and I can't remember when you sent in this question, Michael, but we did air the show on uh, helping supporting veterans in your workplace. And so for those of us who are in the private sector and have veterans who are coming into organizations and looking, we're looking for ways to support them. Uh, we had an expert on Eugenia Weiss, who's on faculty at USC here in Southern California, um, has an expertise in helping veterans uh, to support their work and coming into the workforce. Uh, that was episode number 280. So check that out. I'll put a link in the notes. And of course, this week's uh, weekly leadership guide as well. Michael, I just want to thank you for your service to our country to begin with. This morning, I was listening to this podcast from a retired military leader and he was sharing some things that some ways in which the military serve our country that I wasn't even aware of. And I'm sure that that's just the beginning of a long list of ways that people like you serve our country. So I just wanted to deeply thank you for that. Before I give some feedback on your question early in my career, 
they're actually used to be really a bias toward people who had served in the military to fill some key roles in our organization. That was a recruiting strategy because the kind of discipline that someone would have instilled in them as a part of their service was very appealing to the organization. I will admit candidly, though, that the other aspects that were very appealing to the organization I used to work for was the more command and control type of leadership style, which I know that the military has really had to move away from in order to maximize the potential of the people that serve. But I'm just going to admit that that bias you know, went both ways in terms of really appreciating the discipline, but also really appreciating the type of leadership that says, do this because I said so and don't ask a lot of questions which I have found really isn't the kind of leadership model that's going to be able to navigate complex issues and going to be able to scale and going to be able to really maximize the potential that people have to offer at all levels in an organization. One thing I really celebrate that you talked about is those regular relationship building exercises that you go through, having those lunches, having the conversations to hear their issues, getting feedback from your reports is something that is really valued and something that a lot of people miss. Sometimes there's the real avoidance of conflict not talking about the hard issues and having more what's called power distance. You know, that there's this, I can't really get down in the trenches because that's too uncomfortable for me. I have to maintain this illusion of power that really gets in the way of having effective communication and bringing out the best in people. So that's going to be something that will translate really well. One of the things that resonated with me as I reflected on your question is you really seem to know that vocabulary is going to matter, that what you'll call something in the military isn't always going to be the same as what it might be called. And being able to translate that both in terms of how you would set up a resume or CV, how you'd have that reflected on any kind of social media like LinkedIn is a common one, thinking through those kinds of ways to help translate. Because even though I know a lot of people who really value the kinds of things that military individuals, those who have served in our military have to offer organizations. There are also those who will have biases against that. And so the better that you can go and reflect as you're already doing on that vocabulary and being able to build those bridges for people without them having to translate it in their own minds is going to be particularly helpful. And I think it's really fascinating as we think about how recruiting is changing from, gosh, like (laughs) early in my career. So much of the time now, you're not even, well, first of all, the number one way that people get positions today is through the relationships. And you clearly already have that as a strength. So that's really going to help you as you look to make a transition. By the way, you you didn't mention that you're looking to make a transition, but I can only assume that you're not just asking for a fun hypothetical, but this is something that you're considering. And so those relationships are just going to be wonderful for you to be able to leverage that strength as you consider a transition. And then the other thing though, yes, relationships are still there, but so are keyword searches. And if anyone was going to find you through something like a LinkedIn or through your resume being posted somewhere, It's oftentimes first going to be analyzed by algorithms and not by human beings. And so the fact that you're already emphasizing what that vocabulary looks like can be really helpful in making sure that your resume, your LinkedIn profile 
would bubble up to the top based on these algorithms and be among those that actually human beings would set their eyes upon. So that's just wonderful. And um, one of the things I would think that you might want to do is look at the types of positions that you might want to go into and look at what keywords those job descriptions contain and then find a way to translate those into demonstrating the experience that you already have. And again, just thank you for your service and thanks for your question. I'd love to hear how things go for you as you look to make this move. Bonnie's comment made me think of one additional resource for you. She mentioned the importance of language and using the correct language. Um, and two reasons I'm thinking about this resource. The, the person who I know who is probably the best out there right now who is helping leaders really use and think about intentional language and how they communicate is David Marquet. Uh, David Marquet was on episode 241 talking about how to turn followers into leaders. The other reason I'm thinking about him is he's a former U.S. Navy captain, did an incredible job at turning around the organization of the USS Santa Fe, um, and has written a book called Turn the Ship Around. Um, he's made a very successful transition from military to civilian life and now runs his own business uh, consulting organizations around the world. Um, I'd certainly recommend looking into his work, maybe even reaching out to him personally uh, and check out episode 241 because I think that'll be a real help to you as well. And just thinking about language right along with what Bonnie was mentioning. So our next question here is from Ricardo. Ricardo emailed and said, I'm entering into a new function and I'm facing an internal problem. Previously, I was frequently sought out by my colleagues to help them when they were facing problems, both professional and personal. I believe that I have some leadership skills, but as I'm entering my new role, it's now me who is facing doubts because my responsibilities are different than before. Previously, it was others reaching out to me for coaching and mentoring. Now it is me who is doing it more. Your podcasts have helped me grow into what I believe to be a better leader, but have also increased my doubts because I became aware of several aspects that I've never thought about before. Do you talk about this in any of your podcasts? What's the best way to deal with this and not let this feeling affect my work? I have two comments on this. One is to let you know that what you're experiencing is extremely normal. And this is sometimes called imposter syndrome. And just this idea that I don't really belong in this role that I'm in or with these responsibilities that I have. I'm an imposter. I don't fit here. And if you were to Google imposter syndrome, you would see many, many, many results and many people who have written about this. So the first thing I want you to know is that it is common. And the second thing that is related to that is that we don't talk about it very often. I mentioned there would be a lot of results, but there should be, I think everyone should have series of times in their career where they felt like a little bit of an imposter because what that translates to is oftentimes I'm being stretched, I'm being challenged, I'm doing something new. And how many of us are going to be good at something the first time that we give it a try? I remember when I was in my 20s, I used to really be into this kind of swing dancing called Lindy Hop. And I was so into it that I would take multiple lessons every week. I would even have a private lesson. And then I would go out and go to various places that would have this type of dancing at their place. And sometimes my friends would want to come with me and it would be their first time seeing the Lindy Hop. And they would just be amazed at this really crazy fun dance and it, the music music's great and it looked like so much fun to them that they would want to start it themselves. And so they'd, oh, how do I get the lessons? And I'd tell them a little bit about that and they'd go to their first lesson and they would look foolish. You're not going to learn a new skill 
without looking a little bit foolish. I have fallen on the floor in the middle of dancing before. I have been dropped, you know, related falling incidents. I have, you know, I've not been up to the par of what the other dancers were among us, but I also got to experience the joys of what it felt like to really know that dance well. And it taught me actually a little bit about leadership, not to go on too much of a tangent, but to allow myself to be in the role more of follower and following things that were unanticipated because that's oftentimes what the, not always, but oftentimes what the female role is in the dance like that is to follow what the male dancer or the person performing the lead. And so that was always really fun for me to learn to let go enough of wanting to control it and have it be planned to really experience the spontaneity of the moment. But I never could have done that if I hadn't been willing to on multiple occasions really look super foolish. And that I just think about so much of my life in terms of it's really been fun to start a podcast teaching in higher ed. That's the podcast that I do. And it challenges me to no end. But I've also been able to connect with people that I never would have otherwise been able to connect with and have experiences that I just wouldn't have had if I hadn't been willing to look foolish. And trust me when I say there are many episodes I can think to where I looked foolish and that's the risk that we take. And if we're not willing to do that, we're really not going to be able to pursue what we potentially might have the capability of doing. So I wish you the best on that. I hope you keep feeling like, oh gosh, this might be a little bit out of what I'm comfortable with because that is growth. There's the old adage that I think is attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt, who knows if she said it, uh, we've said it on the show before a bunch of times, is uh, a great professional development plan is to do one thing every day that scares you. And Ricardo, I I echo everything that Bonnie just said, and, and I'll add that years ago, we, Bonnie and I had a pastor at our church, and I remember him telling us once that he always made the point to his children that um, there are people that are ahead of you in life, there are people who are right where you are, your peers, and there are people who are behind you. And his explanation of that for his children is that you want to have all three people in your life, regardless of what age you're at and what grade you're in at school, you want to look to those who are ahead of you on the journey, who are older than you, who are more experienced, for advice and mentoring and coaching, of course, to the right people, but but looking to to folks who have had more experience for wisdom. You want to have a community and friendship with the people who are where you're at approximately in your life and your career at the time. And then you also want to look back to help and support others. I mentioned that in the context of your question, Ricardo, because um, it sounds like you've had some aspects of all those areas, and I look continue to look for those opportunities. So if you don't have as many of those people who are behind you f- that you have are reaching out to and helping, I think that's a wonderful thing, not only to give back, but also to help with your own confidence, because there's a lot that you already offer. And as you said, there's a lot of leadership skills you've already developed, whether you always recognize it or not. So to look for the opportunity to mentor and coach those who are behind you, but also to look for the opportunity to engage in community with people who are where you're at in your new role now. And if they're not in your immediate location, or maybe they're not even within your company to look for the opportunity to develop those relationships in industry groups or maybe even on LinkedIn. Uh, There's so many ways to develop that skill. And then, of course, also to look for those who are ahead of you in your career, the leaders in your organization, the people who are in your industry that you look up to, the people whose books that you read. Uh, One of the things I'm really excited about is anytime anyone in our community 
mentions to me that they reached out to one of the authors or the experts that was on the show and ended up starting a conversation about it. Um, I think that's that's wonderful because ultimately we should have, for most of us, the kind of professional and personal network we have all three of those kinds of people in our lives that we're having regular dialogue with the people who are ahead of us, who have, who challenge us, who mentor and coach us, who provide experience to us, the people who are in community with where we are today. And then the people that we can then in turn mentor and coach and to be really intentional about that. And if you can do that as well, Ricardo, I think not only will you do well for yourself in this new opportunity, but you'll also bring so many other people along with you. Thank you, Bonnie, as always. And of course, lots of resources we mentioned on today's episode. I have cataloged all of them on the show notes, and you can access that. The easiest way is to uh, get the weekly leadership guide in your inbox every Wednesday. I always include the notes for the episode and a link to all the resources in every weekly leadership guide, including a ton more resources, if I can talk, that I track down over the week, articles, other podcasts, videos that I think will help support your leadership development. And if you haven't already set up your free membership on the coachingforleaders.com website, that is the very best way to get access to that weekly leadership guide. You can activate your free membership by going to coachingforleaders.com. Right on the main page, you'll see a place to activate your membership. And you'll get a, you'll get a whole bunch more in addition to the weekly leadership guide. You'll get the entire podcast library for the last six years, searchable by topic. Uh, you'll also get access to all the member casts that I've produced in the past and the ones coming in the future. Um, in addition, uh, access to my free 10-day audio course that's titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. And especially if you've just started listening to the show recently, it's a great way to get started on the lessons from many of the experts we've had on the show over the last six years because I've distilled down some of the key lessons and I'm bringing them to you in a once-a-day, 10-minute audio or less that really gives you the inspiration to empower others. So just activate your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. It will give you access to all of those. And it'll also help you to really learn from others in our community and the wisdom that's been shared amongst so many of us over the last six years. By the way, this is the sixth year anniversary this month of the Coaching for Leaders show. Thank you to so many of you who have been listening and supporting the show all this time. As I mentioned early on, I just had a meetup in Denver the last couple of weeks, had almost two dozen people come out, uh, many of whom have been listening to the show for quite some time, multiple years in a number of cases. Thank you so much for all of you who have supported the show. And I'm always looking to continue to build relationships with those in our community but even more importantly is getting you in relationships with others who listen to the show. And I am hosting one more listener meetup this summer uh, coming up on Thursday, August 17th, right here in Orange County, California. have never had a meetup right here in Orange County, and it occurred to me that was something I should probably do and connect with all of our listeners out here. So if you are out with me in Orange County, California, or if you're in Southern California or just happen to be here the evening of Thursday, August 17th, 2017, I hope you'll go over to Coaching for leaders.com slash orange county. It's a free event. We'll be in Costa Mesa from six to eight that evening. All the details are there. RSVP now because uh, it's coming up Thursday, August 17th. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash orange county, all one word, and that'll get you everything you need to know. And I'm looking forward to seeing many of you here in Orange County. Now, 
several related episodes to today's conversation, a whole bunch of them actually. Uh, first of all, I would recommend if you were inspired by what Bonnie said about servant leadership, we did a whole episode back on episode 137 about the power of servant leadership. John Dixon, who's the COO of Spokane County, Washington, joined me. We talked about how he has implemented servant leadership in his practice as a chief executive, but we also talked about a lot of the lessons from servant leadership and some of the things that will inspire all of us to become better servant leaders. That's episode 137. On episode 153, Bill Bliss joined me to talk about where to start with succession planning. I mentioned succession planning in this conversation earlier. It's one of the key competencies for leaders is thinking about who's going to be the next leader in the organization, but more importantly, thinking about it, actually putting forth a strategy to begin that practice. Episode 153 is a great starting point if that is not top of mind for you right now. I also mentioned David Marquet earlier in the episode. David is a best-selling author of the book, Turn the Ship Around. We talked on episode 241 of how to turn followers into leaders. If you're looking for that as a skill and want to get better at turning the followers in your organization into leaders. We hit on a little bit of that in today's conversation, but episode 241 goes into great depth on that. Uh, Also mentioned in today's conversation, how to support veterans in your workplace. I mentioned episode 280. Eugenia Weiss was on the show talking about that topic. And then finally, episode 285. Uh, Earlier this year, I welcomed Brenda Bernstein onto the show. She talked about how to vastly improve your LinkedIn profile. Bonnie had mentioned LinkedIn and some of the tools and making a career transition in the response to Michael's question. If you haven't listened to episode 285 and you've used LinkedIn or you want to leverage LinkedIn more, It's a must listen for you. I've actually updated a lot on my LinkedIn profile since that episode aired. And so, by the way, I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn if we're not already connected. So please reach out to me. Uh, Also listen to that episode 285. You can access any of those episodes by going to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. Thank you so much this week to the person named HR Senior Leader for the very kind review on iTunes. They describe this podcast as their secret weapon as an HR executive. Thank you so much. It was a very kind review. I really appreciate it. Hey, if you'd like to leave a rating or review for the show, it's always appreciated. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. Have a great week and see you next Monday for our next episode.